0: Good morning, church. Today's scripture is John chapter 17, verse 6 through 19. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and they have come to know in truth that I came from you. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated.
1: Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Caitlin. Am I good? Thank you. Well, good morning, again. If you are, uh, this is your first time, or you're, you haven't heard me preach before, and you've just been coming, uh, I tend to preach somewhere between the African American tradition. And the Western tradition. So I do love the amens, and the preach, and the mm-hmm. But I will take a head nod. I will take you taking some notes um, in agreement. But I do prefer that we do get uh, we interact in the next few minutes. Before I begin, let us open in a word of prayer to acknowledge the Lord's presence and his his value of preaching. Would you bow your heads with me? Gracious God, no one here came to hear Marcus Doe say anything. Lord, we came to hear, to, to, to understand, to interact, to be moved, to be corrected, to be encouraged, to be rebuked by your word of God. Lord, as we walk through the book of John, I pray that you do what you've done for centuries in the act of preaching and hearing. Something happens in the human heart when the Word of God is preached. And we pray that that miracle occurs again this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Dave... uh, The other pastor here often at this point will go into some really good Spanish, uh, explaining that we do offer Bibles if you don't have one. The ushers are on the sides. If you need one, just raise your hand, uh, and that is yours to keep. Uh, We preach from the Bible here at Redemption. That's the way we do it. So if you need a Bible, please raise your hand. My linguistic dexterity only goes to French does not go to Spanish, but I will promise you that I'm going to work on it so at least I can be able to deliver that as good as Dave Dave does it. I always remind you before I start preaching that James chapter 3, the book of James chapter 3 verse 1, holds me accountable as a preacher to you. And that scripture says that not many of us should strive to be teachers because teachers of the word of God will be judged more strictly. So what I'm going to do, what I'm doing now, in the next 20 or 30 minutes, I will be judged. for. At some point, I will die. I'll go before the Lord, and he has entrusted this congregation's uh, spiritual health to Dave and myself, and to preach this word clearly, not fearing any emails, <laughs> um, I will be judged. And I take that very seriously. Dave and I lead this congregation, and we've led this congregation in the best way we can through this pandemic. When the pandemic first started, I remember getting on the phone with my, with my, uh, with my mentor. And I said, man, what is this going to look like for churches back in, in, in the spring of 2020 when we we're all trying to be innovative? We're getting online. Preachers are trying to figure out you know, how we do this thing digitally. And my mentor reminded me, he said, as we, as we go through this thing, if we, end up, if we ever end up on the other side of this thing, the churches that will survive, the churches are able to innovate, but also the churches that were, were able to bring community and mission to their people. The importance of Christian community is something we're going to talk about this morning in Jesus' prayer that, that Caitlin just wrote, that the, the ability... The strong need for us to belong somewhere, right? Church is not this. This is part of church. The church is a place where people can belong. If you come to church, it is one section of your spiritual health. Discipleship is part of that. Church service attendance, yes, one-on-one. Mentorship or discipleship is also a part of that. Small groups are a part of that. Looking ahead, my mentor told me that the, the value of in-person communication will become so much higher than it was prior to the pandemic. We just came to church and we, we interacted with people. We didn't think about it, right? Now it's like, man, I'm, I'm going to church. Mask, no mask, I'm risking myself. In person, when you ask somebody now to meet you in person, that means something. We do have a lot of online options, I know that. We have pastors and preachers all over the countries who are much, much better than I, I am at communicating God's word. Those people can preach to us, but they cannot pastor us. Right? If you, if you, if in this season, if you choose to make Sunday morning an option, church service Sunday morning an option in your life, you will drift, as we'll talk about. Now, let me put a verbal guardrail on this thing and say if you're immunocompromised or you are sick, please stay home. We have an online option, as you know, um, but if you can't be here, a mentor told me, and I'm not sure how, how you will receive this, that if you're not sick or you're not on vacation, Sunday morning gathering with the saints is your is is your is is your idea. Come. Interact. Be a part of a community. We all desire, as humans, a place to belong. We all desire A place they'll belong. As I I always, I'm always reminded of that as I'm going home at, when I'm finished my day at the office and I'm heading home, whether it's Speedway or Grant or Broadway or I 10, if you were to look at our city from above, it feels like people are magnetically being drawn to places, right? Cars are moving, people are heading east. They're all heading home, home to where they belong, a place or to people where they belong. As we drive home, sometimes you see people on the side of the road who do not belong to a home. The homeless. The people with no place to call home. Or no people to call their own. Our desire to belong stretches all throughout our lives, right? If you were, if you were blessed enough to, be, to, to go to a college or university, sometimes you wear the sweatshirt. To show people that you belong to a group, right? The first week of college, I know when I first got to university to college, I wasn't expecting this, but I remember fraternities recruiting, offering a place to belong, sports teams, which I was a part of. Th- there are there different clubs and different groups throughout life were drawn to places to belong. My question to you this morning is to whom do you belong? And where do you belong? I've titled this exchange between the two of us, me and you, this morning as, When You Believe, You Belong. That is the title of the sermon. When You Believe, You Belong. Jesus, in this passage, in John chapter 17, the book of John chapter 17, is usually, the title of this, if, you, if a Bible breaks things down into titles, it's called the High Priestly Prayer. He, Jesus is praying for his disciples who are standing in front of him or around him. He's praying in their presence and not in secret. Sometimes Jesus will go away from the disciples when he prayed. This prayer, the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, he is, being, he is praying for his disciples. I think in verse 1 in chapter 17, it says, the hour had come. All previously in the book of John, Jesus has always said, the hour had not yet come. The hour had not yet come. In this passage, he says, the hour has come. This is the point in Jesus' ministry that they have all been anticipating since he showed himself at the wedding in Cana. Since he did his first miracle. Since he was understood to be the Messiah by some. This is also the hour that we had been waiting for when God told Adam and Eve that someone would come to rescue God. Humanity, from the Garden of Eden, the hour has now come. He's talking to the Father. Jesus is talking to the Father in the presence of his disciples. He is the great high priest, meaning in in the history of the the Israelite church, the high priest was the intercessor, meaning he was the person between the, the, the people who were praying and God. So the priest was the only one who could walk into the temple and pray on behalf of other people. Jesus is doing that for his disciples at this point. Jesus does three things in the prayer that we're going to look at this morning. He prays for himself. He prays for the disciples after his departure. And he prays for, this is the beauty of it, he prays for all who would become believers through the disciples of ministry. He prays for himself. He prays for the disciples after he leaves, and then he prays for all who would become disciples through his disciples. Verse 6, Jesus says this, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they received them, and all have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you have sent me. There's a lot of days and uses there. You can get confused, right? The you there is a singular you referring to God. Is in a singular in the, in the, in the original language. The word manifested sometimes can be a church word, right? If you read that and replace that manifested word, if it helps you with made it clear. So if you read, I have made it clear, I have made your name clear. So Jesus is saying to to the Father that he has made the Father's name clear to the disciples. See, Jesus came on this earth. God gave Jesus an assignment. The Father gave Jesus an assignment. The assignment... He gave Jesus was to take care of the people. Jesus' assignment, <clears throat> excuse me, was not primarily to perform miracles and be a good teacher, but the, the assignment was very, very plain. Here it is to reveal, to make God plain, to make the path to God very clear, to show God in flesh to mankind, to show God's glory to the people, so they could see really clearly who God was. Jesus is saying to the disciples as he's praying and they're listening, that the people that you've trusted me with, Lord, I I give back to you. I took care of them, and I will continue to take care of them because they belong to me. They belong to me, meaning they belong to you as well. The disciples have believed Jesus. Men standing in that room listening— have believed Jesus, that he was sent by God, and they trusted Jesus. In verse 8, Jesus uses the phrase, you have given me, as in the people, you have given me, right? That phrase, I'm going to nerd down on you a little bit. If you're already falling asleep, don't fall asleep here. So um, that phrase, you have given me, in the original language of Greek, is in what's called the perfective tense. We don't have that tense in English. So for example, if I said you, you will get it once I say it, uh, if I said I studied last night or I was studying last night, you can get a sense of what I'm trying to tell you in those two phrases. right? The perfective tense in, in, the, in, the, in the original language communicates an action that has happened but the effects are felt not only then, but the effects are felt going forward. So when he says, "I have given you," he's, uh, "You have given it to me." He's saying that not only did you give me the people standing in front of me. I heard it. Somebody got it. Not only have I given the people that you I care for, the people you have given me right here, but I care for the people, and I will continue to care for the people who are coming. Somebody got it. The tense there is communicating that an action, the action that God has given Jesus the people, is going to be ongoing. Another place, this is not in my notes, but I will share this with you because I'm nerding out. Why don't, I, why don't I just go there, right? Another place that this is so clearly communicated in the Bible is in the end of the book of John, when Jesus is on the cross and he says, "It is finished." When he says it is finished, that finish is in the perfective tense. That he's saying the action that I just did the effects will be continuing. Y'all ain't getting it, man. Amen. So if you, if you would read that, you would, you would understand it in English that God has given you, but there's a depth of what Jesus is trying to say. Jesus is saying what Paul repeated in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, that he chose us before the foundation of the world. That prayer that he's praying in front of those men applies to not just them, but applies to you sitting in his seat today. So when you read that prayer, the you, the they, is all of us. We were given to Jesus as a gift by the Father. You belong to Jesus. There is a gift of belonging to all humans have an opportunity to take advantage of. There's a gift of belonging to Jesus Christ for all eternity. That gift is is, is is available for all humans. I want you to think of something. If you were, if you were, if you, if your parents were lucky or great enough, maybe were, were generous enough to maybe put a huge sum of money. Don't we all wish that to put a huge sum of money away for you. In some, maybe a trust fund or an account or something for you to use for the rest of your life and be your college, if they put a huge sum of money away for you and no one told you about it and you lived in poverty, wouldn't that be a waste? Wouldn't that be sad? That would be incredibly sad to find out or, or to die and if someone says, Did you know that Marcus? was living in the streets when he had $2 billion he could have been doing something else with, right? You know, he wouldn't have been praying for that, for that church in Bermuda. Just plan, Just playing. You and I have a person, a place, a group of people to belong to. That is much more than an inheritance that anyone could give us. Yet some of us choose to live in spiritual poverty. Right? I can just sit there, if you put yourself in the room or in the courtyard or wherever they were when Jesus is praying and the disciples are actually hearing him pray this prayer, you're thinking, man, he's praying for me? This prayer? This is happening? We must understand, like I shared this, and I need to share this again. When Jesus is praying, right, he has a primary audience. The use there are you singular, referring to God, so his primary audience is God. but There's also a group of people sitting, standing or, or hanging out with him there. But those are his primary audiences, right? The secondary audience is us. Here is the beauty, right? The secondary audience, the people within earshot, John is saying that, They understood that John, who's recording this, understands that this not only applies to the disciples standing in front of him, but all people were to come. Dave is going to preach next week, starting on verse 20. And that's the first thing he makes clear in that prayer, that I'm not just praying this for the disciples. I'm praying this prayer for everyone who's who's coming after. Jesus is about to leave. Right? He's praying this prayer. There's a lot of uncertainty going on. That in, in where he is, there's, there's, there's a tension, right? From John 14, from the chapter 14 on, the disciples have realized that Jesus Christ is leaving. The guy or the man that they have trusted their lives with for the last three years, they've left their jobs, they've left their families, some of them, for, for, to follow this guy for three years, and now he's leaving. Their identity for the last three years have been with this guy. With Jesus, they're about to be a ship without a captain, an army without a general, a team without a coach. They're about to be left kind of hanging. So when Jesus is praying this prayer, he's assuring them that it's going to be okay. You still belong to me. No longer will they be able to walk into the proverbial, you know, Bethlehem party and say, I'm with him, so I can walk in the party. Jesus is not there anymore. So they're struggling for a sense of belonging. And he's telling them they belong to him. Their association with Jesus, they're assuming will end when he physically disappears from amongst them, but it does not end. As I shift gears to my second point in the middle here, I will say this. How did people know after Jesus left that the disciples were followers of Jesus? How did they know? When they walked around, they came up close. How did they know that? Oh, this guy is a follower of Jesus. How do people know that you are a follower of Jesus? That you belong to Jesus. How do you know you belong to Jesus? How does our society know that you belong to Jesus? Verse eleven. Jesus is speaking and says, and I am no longer in the world, but they, referring to the disciples, are in the world. I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Don't gloss over that because I'm going to stop there. Jesus leaves the earth. He leaves behind When he leaves the earth, he leaves behind a society, a church, a group of people that are marked differently. They are in contrast with the rest of society. They have become a society of believers who belong to God, right? They are the property of both the Father and the Son. Verse 11, Jesus is saying, I am praying for you that you will be one. You will be united, you will be unified. <coughs> Can someone get me some water, please? You will be unified. They should be unified. Jesus prayed that his disciples would be unified like he and the Father are unified. Don't miss this. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are unified, and it is so difficult for us to try to separate them. There have been thousands of books written on the Trinity and trying to understand it. If we cannot understand how they are together, yet separate, right, that's the unity that Jesus is saying that we should have. Am I on your block yet? Jesus is praying this because he knows the human heart if there is one thing that we can all agree on as a society is that we cannot agree on a lot of things. Think about it. I, I, I used to work with people in poverty, and we couldn't agree to how to help people in poverty. Right? It, 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 we, in Liberia, when there was a civil war, they couldn't agree to how to bring peace. Everybody wanted peace. but how was it going to work? Jake, I appreciate you, brother. We cannot, it seems like we cannot agree. Let me shine a spotlight on the church. We should be more unified than we are. Yikes. We should be imitating the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The the, the relationship of mutual submission. They are impossible to separate, yet difficult to understand, hard to put into words. When people think of the church, you think of people that are, we can't put them into words. We can't understand how they, how they help each other, how they care for one another, how we cannot in, in separate them. We exist as a people to give glory to God, to love one another, to reflect the unity that God has in the Trinity. Yet, Sadly, we don't measure up most of the time. Our Christian life, both individually and collectively, fails, falls short. I'll give you a quick story. There is a missionary that I used to love listening to, and I'm going to date myself now, but it was on it was on a CD. <laughs> Are those things, people, people still no? We still doing CDs out here? All right. A missionary, the the, the guy was a missionary to Papua New Guinea. His name was Otto Koenig. If you know him, he's a funny guy. He left America, he left the United States, and went to share the gospel with people in Papua New Guinea, right? People who had never heard the gospel. And he came, and he realized this, this, this beautiful tropical island, he planted pineapples. Now, if you know any of pineapples, I don't know if you know, but it takes him three years for one pineapple. A pineapple plant only produces one single pineapple every three years. He planted a bunch of pineapples, right, hoping. Year three comes, the pineapples come, and the people he went to be a missionary to would take his pineapples without asking him, and it drove him nuts. The next cycle of pineapples came three years later. You know what happened? They took them. And he would be mad at them. He's going after them. And he's, he's telling them, you guys can't do this. You can't steal They didn't understand. I think he went through two more cycles. No pineapples. He decided to trust the pineapples to God and say, you know, God, they're your pineapples. They're not my pineapples. So I'm not going to be stressed out over these people taking my pineapples. You know what happens? The story is incredible. Once he started complaining about the pineapples and started giving the people a hard time for stealing his pineapples, they stopped. And sometimes when one person would come and ask him and take the pineapples, and the, 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 the native person would say, hey, how come you're not mad anymore? And this is the dagger in his heart. The, the, the people he went to evangelize look at him and say, hey, you've become a Christian now. You're no longer angry because of your pineapples. Oh, man, you're, you're, you're a Christian now. Sometimes we live that way. People can't see that we're Christians. When you belong to God, your purpose, your specific purpose is to glorify God. Your reason for being, your in French, your raison d'etre is to glorify God. To show the world what Jesus showed the disciples. God's glory you believe therefore you'll belong you believe and you are a living reflection of God's glory and sometimes let me just go there with you guys sometimes when you're living as a Christian it ain't all gravy if you don't know what that means it means it's not all I don't know what the, the term is it's not all peaches and cream or it's not all it's not all good' like it's, the road is not paved with with great things when when you start to reflect the glory of God. I don't have to tell you that living in this world can be tough. Just for regular folks, not even being Christian. Right? Because once you decide to start to reflect the glory of God, someone in particular takes notice. Someone takes notice. In verse 15, it's referred to as the evil one. Jesus, in verse 14 and 15, says, I'm not asking to take you out of the world, but to keep you away from the evil one. It is a difficult and sinful world we live in, and it's difficult to reflect the glory of God. It takes a lot of intentionality. Things aren't always what they they should be in this world. If you look around, you see it. I don't need to name it. Right? Right? Jesus is saying, you disciples, you will face, I'm leaving you, and you will face some real danger, right? The bullseye will be on your back from the enemy. He hates truth. The devil wants to see you away from God's reflection. He wants to see you turn away from following Jesus, reflecting the glory of God. That becomes easier and easier when you do not belong community. It becomes easier and easier when you want the temptation is to become kind of two, two, there are two temptations, let me say that, right? The temptation is to be alone, right? The lone ranger Christian out here reading your Bible, maybe consuming church online in this season or doing what you do by yourself. You won't last that way, folks. You will drift. Alone, you will find yourself taking the path of least resistance when it comes to difficult sin. When it comes to difficult relationships, you will take the path of least resistance more often than not. You are not immune from temptation by yourself. The temptation will be so tempting that the evil one will come after you when you are alone. One commentator says the other temptation is to live monastically. I don't even know if that's the word, but live, live in, a, in a monastic sense. Here's what that means. After Jesus passed away, let me give you a little history. After Jesus, after Jesus left, a lot of people who became believers separated themselves from society, and they went to live out in the desert. They created monastic communities, monks, often with good hearts to, 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 to separate themselves from the world. But if you separate yourself from the world, you can remain faithful, but you will miss the mission. You will miss the mission. Let me give you another example. The temptation for us now, and and it happens to me too, is that, man, the world is so crazy out here, I need to keep myself away, right? That thought is the beginning thought of sanctification is the good thought. But if you separate yourself from the world, you miss the mission. You miss inviting people who are non-Christians or Christian brothers and sisters who are further along in the journey of their faith or behind you in their faith from, from, from understanding each other, from sitting in community. Here's an illustration I can give you to help you cement this place. We, we have a gift. We belong to Jesus, and we cannot hold that gift. In ourselves for too long we have to share it. okay when I was a kid uh, we had a well in our backyard we, we didn't always have running water so we had a well that we would go down and get water and, and use to drink right and because we had a well in our backyard many people from our community came to our backyard to get water right my father being in the job that he had became really sensitive to security, purpo- security reasons and thought it is unsafe to have all of these people coming from different places come into my backyard. We didn't have a fence. So eventually my dad built a fence and the people stopped coming. The wall was all ours. We had the, the good water, but we lost people. In a sense... When we are Christians and we separate ourselves from the wall from the world, we build walls. When God really wants us to build wells, you follow. Your Christian faith is a well that people come to drink out of. Invite them. You say, "Worry, maybe maybe I'll get corrupted." If you're in Christian community, discipleship, RCs uh, uh, locally, you you have a place to get fed, quote unquote, to have community. You're open. You believe, therefore you belong. We live differently in an unbelieving world. The first disciples and subsequent disciples and believers sought to live this way. right? Whether it's descriptive or prescriptive, if you look at the book of Acts, their, their, their form of church is very different than what we have today. We have life, we have it abundantly, and we have it attractive This is why, this is why we sit together in different settings as Christian people and share life together. Now, some people will say, man, it's so difficult, and I understand it. It's cynical in a sense, that it's so difficult to hang out with Christians. Uh Uh-oh. I'm in your house, right? If you know me, you know what I'm going to say, right? I'm going to put my feet on your couch right now. It is so difficult to hang out with Christians. It, that, I understand that perfectly, right? It, we don't want to spend all of our time with, with Christian people. We want to have like a good mix of non-Christians, people who don't believe, people who believe differently, people who believe in other things, right, in, 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 in our communities. The reason why sometimes it's difficult to hang out with Christians, we're family, right? I can talk to you, right? I can talk to you. Because some of us put on masks when we hang out with Christians. Some of us put on a persona or a personality to appear good and is exhausting. So you don't want to spend your time with Christians. You belong to Jesus, but when you go to other Christians, you feel like you can't share anything that, that's, not, that's not, you know, completely sanctified, right? That's completely gospel-oriented. You have to say the right things, and that can be exhausting. Can I free you from that, from that prison and say, go to Christian community, right, if a cuss word slips out, it slips out. <laughs> Y'all acting like, <laughs> I know, man. <laughs> yeah. That's true community. That's why when we create RCs, we we seek we seek to make them multiracial, multigenerational. Right? So you can see people in their that's why I, I keep saying the phrase. If you're going to be in a church community, if you're going to be a home Bible study, I want to get to the point where you don't have to clean your house when people are coming because you, not only do you clean your house physically, you clean yourself up, you follow what I'm saying, spiritually. You put on your best foot. Don't do that. Live. If people see your sin, they see it, and we can all pray about it, not gossip about it. I'm going to get off your couch. This is why... The beauty of Christian community is so touching. This is why the world will see us differently and say, why are those millennials hanging out with those baby boomers? Why are those refugees hanging out with the Americans? Why are the Hispanics and the African Americans and whites enjoying a time together? Why is that family inviting a single teenage mom to live with them? Why did they adopt a child with special needs? Why do they disadvantage themselves in order that others may live? Because you're a Christian. Because you belong. So you want to invite more people to belong. If that doesn't catch your heart this morning, I'm not sure what will. Jesus prayed that the disciples would be faithful to his words, that his words would keep them faithful to the mission. Jesus prayed, as the Father sent him into the world, so he has sent us into the world. In order that we may reflect his glory. We believe, therefore we belong. We belong to an unchanging, faithful God. And we will always belong to him throughout all eternity. Would you bow your heads? Gracious God, I thank you. We thank you for your Holy Spirit descending here this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that in the act of preaching, you spoke truth to someone. I pray that your word will be cemented in the hearts of those who call this church home and community and Christian life the road ahead. Lord, we love you. We pray that you do what you do through the Holy Spirit in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.